stuff is a place for all sorts of people that are struggling with all sorts of different things. Uh, it's for Christians who are secure in their faith uh, and have found security kind of in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the Christian life. But it's also a place for non-Christians. It's a place for people that are trying to figure out what they believe about the Bible and about who Jesus is and who he says he is uh, in the Bible. And so wherever you are, I want you to know that you're welcome here at RUF tonight. We do believe in RUF, the place you go for those questions uh, to find out more about who God is and what he's like is the Bible. And so... Every week in RUF, if you come, uh, you'll find us opening up uh, the Bible and talking about a passage of Scripture. Uh, It's our custom in RUF to go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament based on the semester. This semester we're in the Old Testament, and we're going to be studying the book of Exodus and looking at the story of salvation through the book of Exodus. We're going to start that next week. Because tonight I realize we've got a lot of folks that maybe have never heard of RUF. Maybe this is your first exposure to RUF and you're wondering, what's RUF all about? Also, we've got a lot of folks that have been here coming for years but have been gone for three months for the summer and we're all coming back together and we need to be reminded of what we're all about and kind of what drives and what is the motor, so to speak, that drives our ministry. And so tonight, we're going to do something different, and we're going to do just a little, spend a little time talking about what RUF is. And to do that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't have your Bible, look on with someone or look at uh, the handout because the text is printed for you uh, on the announcement sheet. Um, Some of you know me better than others. Uh, but one of the things about me, when I, about my childhood, is I grew up loving baseball. Um, I played, I wasn't that great at it, but I played all my childhood, up until I was about 13, I played baseball. And my favorite position was the catcher. And I was a 100% boy, and so I think I loved the catcher position because of the equipment. You know, I, 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 I played first base, I pitched, I never caught a day in my life in baseball, but I loved the, that position because, you know, the chest protector, the helmet with the mask, the shin guards, the, you know, you had a different glove, the catcher's mitt. I remember even asking my mom when I was, you know, eight years old or whatever to get me catcher's gear that I never wore. I just thought it was cool and would play around in the backyard in it. And so because of that, one of my favorite childhood heroes in Major League Baseball was a catcher, Gary Carter. Some of you have no idea who that is, and that makes me really sad and feel really old. (laughs) But let me give you a snapshot of Gary Carter. He played for the Mets, and he won the World Series in 1986, and he is one of only 13 catchers in the entire history of baseball to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he was my hero. 
So much so that my parents took me when I was 12 in 1986, the year they won the World Series, to New York City to watch a Mets game to watch my hero, Gary Carter, play baseball. Fast forward to 1996, I'm a student at Sanford University dating Susie, who would become my wife, who's in the back standing, say hey to Susie, (laughs) Um, who would become my wife. I'm dating her. She's playing college tennis at Sanford, and one day in a just passing by conversation, talking about her tennis team and the match that they had coming up, She says, hey, there's this girl on my team, and her dad's a really good baseball player. Her name's Christy Carter, and I don't remember her dad's name. I'd have never heard of him, but his name's Gary Carter. I didn't miss a tennis match the rest of of her tennis career, home and away. I was going to see Gary Carter, and I thought, if I could just meet him when he comes to see his daughter play. That would be just one of the greatest things in my life. Well, one Saturday afternoon, I walk up to watch Susie play tennis, and there's Gary Carter, and I'm a nervous wreck. (laughs) I get the courage to go up to Gary Carter and introduce myself, and we're watching this tennis match, and he spends an hour and a half with me talking about the Hall of Fame, talking about his career in the major leagues. And at the end, he gave me six signed baseball cards. And I am, I mean, I'm, I'm in heaven at this point. The match is over. Susie and I are walking away. And he comes up behind us. And the most amazing, shocking, unexpected thing happens. He says, hey, Jason and Susie, would you like to come to dinner with me and my family? I was like, no, not tonight. I'm busy. (laughs) I'm like, yes! Where do we meet you? And so we ended up eating, and it was... It was amazing. All these people were walking in the restaurant. They knew exactly who it was. And I'm eating dinner with Gary Carter... And out of all of the people that he could have been eating with on that particular night, he's eating with me, a nobody, in Birmingham, Alabama. It was shocking. It was amazing. It was unexpected. But in Mark chapter 2, we have something even more amazing. We have something even more shocking, more unexpected. Jesus, the Son of God, who could have been eating with anyone, is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And in doing so, He shows us something about Christianity. He shows us something about true, authentic, real Christianity. And that's the topic that we're going to look at tonight. What does authentic Christianity really look like when it's lived out in someone's life and in a community of people? Before we dig in, let me pray. Father, we need your help tonight. Some of us, we're starting back to school and we're full of anxiety and fear. 
We're nervous about whether or not we're going to find community like we had in our hometown and where we're from, the friends that we left behind. Others of us in this room come and they've lost their edge spiritually. Uh, Things aren't like they used to be. You have grown cold and stale in our hearts. Father, there's also people here that have had horrible summers and they feel like a failure because of the things that they've done. And they're here tonight wondering if they're forgiven, wondering if you still care, wondering if perhaps maybe you have given up on them. Father, some of us are angry because life hadn't turned out the way we thought it would. Father, would you convince us tonight, we need you, convince us that we're actually a bigger mess than we thought, but at the very same time, convince us that your love and your grace is the most amazing thing in the world, that it's bigger than anything we could imagine. We need a word from you from the outside tonight, so come through your spirit and take this passage and pierce our hearts with it. Change us. Make it real. In Jesus' name, amen. Two points. If you have your outline or you're a note taker, authentic Christianity, two things, is a friend of sinners and an enemy of self-righteousness. Look at number one, a friend of sinners. Look at verses 15 and 16. Notice Mark, the author, mentioned something three times in two verses. What is it? He mentions the fact that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And any time that we read anything and see that it's mentioned three times in two verses, the light should go on and we should say, whoa, this is a big deal. The author is trying to tell us something. And the question becomes, why is Mark, the author, making such a big deal by the fact that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here's why he's making a big deal. Because Jesus is eating with the wrong people. Jesus is hanging out with the losers, not the winners. And that might not be clear at first glance, but here's who Levi is, okay? Let me give you a glimpse into the first century in tax collectors. Bottom of the barrel. The worst of the worst. They were considered moral untouchables. They were hated and despised by their society. Why? Three reasons why they were despised. One, they were Jews who sold out to the Roman government in order to collect taxes from their own people. So they were getting rich off of their own people. Secondly, it was a well-known fact that they would always require and charge more taxes that were necessary, and they would pad their pockets with the leftovers. And thirdly, it was also well known that the money that was being uh, taken in was not going to the imperial budget. It was going straight to King Herod's treasury so that he could live a more luxurious lifestyle. Tax collectors were despised because they had betrayed their own people 
for their own private interest. They were social, social outcasts. They were grouped in back then with robbers and murderers and considered by Jewish law to be beast unclean. You with me? <laughs> that's who they are. And that's what's so amazing about this passage. What's so beautiful here is that Jesus is partying with losers. What's so beautiful here is that Jesus is hosting a party for those that didn't get invited to any other party. He's hosting a party for those that aren't pretty enough. Those that are failures morally. Those that aren't running in the right social circles. And those that aren't connected with the right people. Out of all the people that Jesus could have been eating with, He's eating with those people. Sinners and tax collectors. And some of you don't believe that tonight. Some of you, as I mentioned in my prayer, have had a horrible summer. Some of you, we've been here a week, and you've already done things that you never thought you would do. And you're sitting here tonight and you're wondering if God sees the mess that you've made of your life and the mess that you're in right now and you're wondering if He's going to draw back. You're wondering if He's going to turn and look the other way or run the other way or give up on you and say, I'm done. That's it. Look at the passage. That's not our God. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus draws near to broken, ruined sinners that have blown it. And He draws near and He loves and He forgives. It reminded me of Jeffrey Lancaster. Jeffrey was the campus minister with RUF in the mid-90s. He left RUF and went to plant a church in New Orleans. He's now pastoring a church in Memphis. And I'll never forget hearing Jeffrey share this story. He talked about a time in New Orleans when a man comes into his church, sits on the second row, never makes eye contact with him at all, and at one point in the service puts on sunglasses and then looks back down. Jeffrey's at the back of the church greeting people on the way out. And this man walks up and says, Hi, my name's Jim. I haven't been to church in 35 years. And this is the first time in 35 years that I've felt any hope. Can we meet next week? I've got a lot I need to talk to you about. Jeffrey and Jim become friends. And over the next year... Jeffrey learns that Jim has AIDS and is dying of cancer. A year passes and Jim is on his deathbed. He's dying in the hospital. And Jeffrey Lancaster is sitting there holding his hand as he's dying. And Jim looks at him and says, Jeffrey, for my whole life, I've been looked down upon. 
My whole life I've been stepped on. I've been condemned. I've been talked down to. But for the first time in my life, when I walked into your church, I felt true love. That's it. That's what we want to be about. If you're wondering and you're thinking, what is this RUF thing all about? What I want and what I think God wants for us more than anything else in our ministry is to be a place where when people walk through these doors on Wednesday night or they come into our small groups or into our social circles, they say, for the first time, I feel truly loved because I've been a part of that community. Tim Keller says, he's a pastor in New York City, he has this great quote. He says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. And what he means, and what I want us to hear, is that RUF is not a place that we're going to come every week and say, look at how good we are. Look at all the stuff we're doing for you, God. Aren't we doing it? Aren't we great? Look at us. That's what it means to be a museum for the saints. No. We want to be a place where we come as fellow strugglers and say, we need Jesus. We need His grace. And we need to be changed so that we can live differently. And so the question is, how do you do that? How does that happen? How do we become a place or a person that is able to move towards messy people and actually have them feel truly loved when they're around you? Well, it happens, and the only way it'll ever happen is when we identify ourselves with Levi. In the story. When we identify ourselves with Levi, and here's when you know you've identified yourself with, Le- with Levi, is when you realize that you're the one in the tax booth. That you're the one that would have been isolated. That you're the one, and I'm the one that doesn't meet the standard. But Jesus in His grace and in His mercy and in His compassion reached out to us and loved us. You know what else will happen? When you finally, you'll know that you've identified yourself with Levi when you start moving towards all the people that everyone else around you is moving away from. You'll know you've identified yourself with Levi when you grow increasingly frustrated at those around you that look down their noses at other people who aren't doing it right and put limits on Jesus and His grace. Authentic Christianity is a friend of sinners. Secondly, it's an enemy of self-righteousness. Look at verse 16. Okay, so these Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, they walk up on this wild party and they're confused. And they're confused because right in the middle of this wild party is Jesus and his disciples. And the reason why they're confused is because Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people. In other words, Jesus isn't hanging out with them. And they, in their eyes, are the movers and the shakers spiritually. They're the ones who are the spiritual elite, so they think. And Jesus isn't hanging out with them, and they don't know what to do. But they're also confused for this reason. They're confused because Jesus is the Son of God. And He's holy, and He's without sin. 
But yet, he's hanging out with sinners. And so they're wondering, how is he hanging out with sinners and not being infected with sin? Let me explain. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day were known and put a high emphasis on obeying the law, not just the law according to what's in the Bible. They created all these extra laws, they're called oral laws, and they had hundreds of them. And lots of these oral laws had to do with avoiding unclean things. You probably have run across that if you've read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You'll see these kind of weird uh, laws about washing hands and those sorts of things. And so they thought that if you were around an unclean person, then you became unclean. In fact, one of their laws or rules was that a Pharisee could not eat with a non-Pharisee because if the non-Pharisee had broken one of their rules, then they would become unclean and contaminated and unfit for worship. Unfit for God. Here's what I want you to see. The Pharisees' attempt at holiness made people hate them. The Pharisees' attempt at holiness actually kept them away from people. But look at Jesus. Is Jesus concerned with holiness? Absolutely. Does Jesus desire that all of us would be holy? Yes, 100%. But look at how it works itself out. It leads Jesus in a completely different direction, doesn't it? It doesn't lead Jesus away from people. It leads Jesus towards the sick, towards those that have been broken and whose life is a mess. And the reason why it led him towards people is because Jesus knew that his holiness was the thing that was going to make them holy. Think about that. That's amazing. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're struggling with, and I don't know what it is, but Jesus is not moving away from you. He's moving towards you in the midst of that in order to make you whole and to make you holy and to make you flourish, and truly live. Isn't that amazing? And so what that means for us in our lives, it's a paradigm. It means that as we attempt to be holy, it's not about being weird and making people hate us and turning people off. It's about living in such a way that everything around us flourishes. Living in such a way that our holiness flows out of us so that people start to live and flourish and thrive. Jesus doesn't want to spend time with us because we're the right kinds of people. Jesus wants to spend time with us and draw near to us because He knows that we need Him. And it's very clear. Look at verse 17. It's what He's getting at. Notice the illustration. Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Think about it. When you go to a hospital, when you walk through those doors, are you surprised to see a man walking with an oxygen tank? Someone being pushed in a wheelchair or glancing out of the corner of your eye and seeing someone sick with an IV in their arm in the hospital bed? No, that doesn't surprise us at all. Why? Because we know that people go to hospitals, sick people, in order to be made well, in order to be made whole and healthy again. Doctors and nurses will tell you 
that it would be much safer for them to avoid sick people and avoid hospitals. But they go in order to make people healthy. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you see it? Jesus is saying, I'm the great physician. And I am moving into your life and I've moved into the world in order to bring healing to your deepest need, which is your sin problem. And Jesus is saying that I am the only one that can heal you. But if you look at the passage, in all actuality, all the guests at that party that night were sick. The Pharisees were sick and needed to be healed by Jesus, and the sinners and the tax collectors needed the exact same thing. Well, friends, the same is true of this gathering here tonight. We're all sick unless we've been healed by Jesus. Some of us are avoiding Jesus by trying to live our own life and set our own standard and be our own master. Others are avoiding Jesus by trying to live the good life, trying to avoid sin, and then in doing so, because we're good enough, we demand that God pull through for us and give us what we want. And so we're angry. But here's the thing. The people in the deepest trouble at this party in Mark chapter 2 were who? The Pharisees, the good people. And they're in the deepest trouble because they think they're well. They think they're strong. They have no need for a physician. And they're going to Jesus not because they need him, but because they want to learn more Bible so that they can go crush people and condemn them and judge them. Friends, the Bible teaches us that the person who is trying to be good enough and save themselves. You see, both people are attempting self-salvation, whether you're living life on your own or trying to be good enough. You're trying to save yourself. It's self-salvation. It just looks differently. And the Bible says the person that is trying to save themselves through being good enough is just as self-absorbed than the most radical hedonist that you despise. You see, the Bible says we're all the same before Jesus. That we're just messed up differently. It reminded me of a trip I took with some college students in 2005 to Biloxi, Mississippi to do some Hurricane Katrina relief work. We arrived and we did a lot of cleanup for sure, but I'll never forget going down the coast of Mississippi, uh, Biloxi and it was utter devastation. Utter devastation. I mean, things were leveled. And then one day we had to go back like five blocks. And we, walked, we went into this house and we pulled up in our van and it looked beautiful. This house. And I'm thinking, are we just picking up some limbs that fell down in the yard or what's the deal? Well, we walk into this house and there's a water line all the way up to the ceiling. At about all the way up, almost to the complete top of the ceiling. And from there down, from the water line down, it was completely black, covered with mold. So we started tearing out the sheetrock, and when we got the sheetrock out, all the two-by-fours and studs were completely covered and were black with mold. 
And what I realized was that no matter how beautiful this house looked on the outside, it was actually rotting away on the inside. And so the devastation along the coast where houses were completely leveled and the devastation five blocks back was really the same. It just looked differently. And we went to Biloxi in order to bring healing to both. That's why Jesus came. Because we're messed up differently. Some folks, it's very external. Your sin is out there. And it's obvious. And there's no hiding it. Your sin is very visible. But others, it's not so visible. You look really beautiful on the outside like you have it all together, but you're actually rotting away on the inside. And here's the thing. Both of those people need the exact same thing. They both need Jesus. They both need to be healed by Jesus. And some of you, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking and convinced that every week I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say, why aren't you better? I mean, surely you're over that sin by now. Get your act together. And friends, with all due respect, if that's what you're expecting... You're in the wrong place. Because every week, I'm going to stand up here and tell you that I need Jesus as much as anyone. And I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to, by God's grace, hold up the Bible and say, look at how good Jesus is. Look at how much He loves you. Look at all the things that He's done for you. You see, in RUF, we believe that no matter where you are in this room, the need is the same, that we need to encounter Jesus through His Word, by His Spirit. And so, week after week, this semester, through the book of Exodus, I'm going to hold up Exodus, and I'm going to invite us to Jesus' party. And that's really where this passage leaves us, isn't it? That's the invitation That's the call. That's the challenge. The call is, will you come to Jesus' party? Will you come tonight and sit with sinners like me and rejoice and worship and praise because Jesus has rescued us and saved us from our sin? Friends, that is authentic Christianity. Let's pray. Father,